suit. There's really a Chris Clem underneath the skin. We'll zip and show you a little bit later. It'll be a lot of fun, exciting. Not really, he's not here. He is a uh, surprise, right? Surprise. Uh, he is finishing up, I think, a requirement for his master's program, so he and his family, I think, are, are traveling. So pray for safe travels, but he does extend, of course, a fond welcome and hello and praying for the service this morning. <clears throat> I am always gratified when speaking at various places. It, is, it has always been, to me, so gratifying to sense God's spirit and his presence in his church. Now, that may come as a surprise to you, if I, or may, if I were to tell you that there are some churches where the spirit isn't free to, to move among his people, where it is extremely rigid and where, uh, where religiosity takes the place of the importance of a true relationship with God. But not at this church, right? Not at this church. And so I'm so thankful that we have such a wonderful worship team and pastors and a board and many various directors and ministry positions that are praying each and every week for God's presence to be here with us. And as we get into the sermon this morning, you may, in fact, remember back to the songs that we were singing together a few moments ago. It's just cool how God begins to interlace these things, sometimes even when we don't plan them. Planning is great, but sometimes God does things even when we don't plan for them. And sometimes what God has planned for you isn't what you planned for yourself, but nonetheless, if we can be, if we can be sensitive to what his plans are and say, yes, Lord, to his plan, then great blessings will follow. Today's sermon is entitled, No Soup for You. How many Seinfeld fans do I have in the house? Shame on you for watching that secular show. Shame on you. My hand was raised too. There's, I, I can't condone the show. I, I have watched it from time to time because there are some really funny episodes. There are some that you shouldn't watch and we don't, but there are some very, very funny episodes. Uh, and one of them uh, has to do a lot with soup. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But today, we're talking about Jacob and Esau. And I hope to really peel apart a life lesson here that we find in Genesis chapter 25, 29 through 34, which is our main text this morning. I'll read it to you. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. This is why he was also called Edom. Edom meaning red. In fact, the Bible says that he was very burly. Uh, when he was born, he was covered in red, red hair. He probably looked more like animal from the Muppets than he did anything else. But here was a man that I can only imagine Esau being very affectionate towards being red, that being his favorite color, covered in red, uh, and noticing that his brother Jacob, or his, bro yeah, his, his brother Jacob had, in fact, made some red stew. It's interesting that the author makes a point to say that Esau notices what kind of stew Jacob had fixed, a red stew, to appeal to Esau, to appeal to his senses. And so after Esau appeals to Jacob, Jacob replied, first, 
sell me your birthright. Look, Esau said, I am about to die. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and he drank and he got up and he left. So Esau despised his birthright. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to be here and to reflect on your word. God, this is your word. These are your people. The connection that needs to be made, Lord, this morning, by your Holy Spirit, make the connections. Let us leave changed, healed, and delivered, and set free this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This story about Jacob and Esau, when you read it, it really sounds like it's all about this. It's all about this, this stew that Jacob has prepared for his brother. And many, many sermons have been preached regarding this very story about Jacob and Esau. And most of the time, it revolves around, if you've been in church for any number of years and have heard a pastor preach this story, it usually revolves around Jacob being the, can anybody finish my sentence? The, de, the deceiver, the distraction, the, the deceiver. And so Jacob gets this horrible rap. Now, there are many different components to this story, many of which we will not be able to cover in our time this morning. But nevertheless, they're very important. This, this story represents a myriad of decisions and choices that happened before they meet in the tent. And it has a lot more to do than Jacob deceiving his brother. We'll come back to this in just a moment. The story of Jacob doesn't start here in this tent. It starts years before Jacob and Esau are even born. This story begins with Abraham. Do you remember the old church song, Father Abraham has many sons, many sons has Father Abraham. I was one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Then it's like right arm, left arm. It's like we spiritualize the hokey pokey and twister or something. I don't know. <laughs> We're really good about doing that. You know what I mean? We take something, you know, oh, now it's drop Father Abraham in it. Now it's super spiritual. It's all good. You know, right arm, left arm, right foot. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. I am not good with music. <clears throat> so anyway, not my strength. The story of, Ab- of uh, Jacob and, I- and Esau actually starts with Abraham. The reason that Jacob and Esau can even, and they're about to make some, let me tell you, they're about to make some really bad decisions, and we're going to talk about that. But before they are even together to make this decision, something happened before Jacob and Esau, before Isaac, there was Abraham. Jacob and Esau, in this story, are in a position of blessing. In this story. There's deceit, there's a bad choice, there are a myriad of things that are about to happen. But really, Jacob and Esau are in a position of blessing. And they're not in a position of blessing because of them, in their own right. They're in a position of blessing due to their grandfather, Abraham. It should be there in your notes. In fact, your bulletins are there uh, before you, I believe, in the back of the pew pew in front of you. 
I'm a little delayed on that, but, uh, and then your, I believe the sermon notes are there if you're going to follow along. God said this to Abraham in Genesis 12 too, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. You know, I, it makes me smile when God spoke to Abraham and said this. He said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Wow. You see, he, he, he signifies some things that are very important to Abraham. Abraham, he, he wanted children, and he, he wanted a great reputation, and he wanted some things from God. And God said, I'm going to give you this that's been in your heart. I'm going to give you this. But then he, he changes the sequence. And he says to Abraham, you will be a blessing. You want to be in a position and position those in proximity to you for a blessing. And it happens by meditating on the Word of God and being obedient to the things that God has for you. Many of you are receiving blessings today that are not in your own right that you never asked for, but it was because a father and a mother and a grandfather and a great-grandmother and a great-grandfather, they sowed the seeds of prayer uh, way ahead, way ahead in the timeline. They said, I'm going to have kids, Lord willing, and my kids will have kids, Lord willing, unless Jesus comes back or I die first, and I want them to be blessed. So I want to pray now for God's hand of blessing to be upon them. And God spoke to some of you who have this wonderful spiritual heritage, and you are now the recipients of those who have gone before you. And now it is your choice it is your decision to make. It is your function as a believer to begin to position those in proximity to you for a blessing. I mean, can we, can we preach this morning and talk about the word like we're in church on a Sunday? God wants you to be in proximity for a blessing. And it's not just to receive stuff. I mean, if you're, gonna re if you're praying for a car you know, and, God, and God gives that to you, I'll rejoice with you. But blessings are not necessarily things. The blessing is being like God and carrying his presence with you no matter where you go and what you do. Being a presence that impacts lives, that's the, that's the blessing. The blessing is being more like God to be used. He said, Abraham, you will be a blessing. And because Abraham was a blessing, the residual blessings of God carried down throughout generations all the way to the line of David and eventually Christ who became the Savior of the world. Are you following me? Are we making sense this morning? God wants to bless you and bless those in proximity to you because he wants his kingdom to move forward. This is why he said uh, to Abraham again in Genesis twenty-two sixteen through 17, he said, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Obedience leads to blessing. Obedience lead, leads to blessing. You know, it's, it's always amazing to me 
how we can commit our lives to Christ and say yes and amen, this is wonderful, and I've received forgiveness. And then we walk in defeat as if we have nothing else to live for in life. Like, well, I guess that's it. That's the, that's the climax of my entire existence. It's over. You know, I, I will continue. I've accepted Christ. Now I'm just going to go ahead and walk in defeat. Some Christians live defeated because they have developed mental roadblocks. Instead of being prayed up, studied up in God's word and ready to obey and be a blessing, we get chained up and shackled up by our mental roadblocks. We don't think that God can do anything beyond our present circumstance. I mean, say amen or oh me, but you gotta, you gotta be, you know, you gotta be on one side or the other here because you can't, you cannot, you cannot say yes, verily and amen. I believe that God, I believe that, he, that Jesus is the son of the risen God and he, he loves me and he cares for me and then walk in a defeated life. We, we don't see how God can. But I have good news for every person in this building this morning. If you feel like you've been shackled up and chained up, get ready for a change-up because God wants to do something amazing in your life. He wants to resurrect some healing power in you this morning if you will just be open to receive it. If you're open, my God can do anything exceedingly and abundantly above what we could ask or imagine if we will just be willing to get out of our box and say, yes, God. I will. But you see, the problem that we run into, because we're physical, because we're mortal, because we we have this this brain, at least most of us, and we have a heart, we have emotions, those, those objects of humanity, they convolute what the Spirit is trying to do sometimes. Are you with me here? How many of you have felt in your spirit, God wants me to, but your flesh said, no way, Jose. I ain't doing it. Right? We live life at times feeling defeated, stuck in bad situations, and afraid to change. Or we think we're unable to receive a promise, receive a blessing, or be a blessing. Because mental roadblocks distort spiritual reality. Your wonderful, physical, brilliant brain that God gave you will, as my dad used to say, sure enough, halt Everything that God wants to do. When I was a child, <laughs> oh, I can, I can see him reading it. Oh, my gosh. I may cry if I tell you about this. But when I, I can see, I have a, a, uh, a really weird, we're talking about brains here, right, you guys? Okay, so mine's not as big as a lot of people's. And uh, it takes me a while to download. And so I will read and study. And if my recorder is on, I won't miss a beat. But the problem is I forget to hit the record button sometimes. And so I don't remember some things. I'm paying attention. I have, a, I have nearly a photographic memory. I can see it as it happens and remember it very, very well. But it's hard for me to remember what I ate this morning. You know, it's really weird. It's my flaw, you know, my, my curse and my blessing, I suppose. But I can see my daddy reading to me and telling me the story of the, the train that could. Did you ever hear that story, this little train? You know, and dad was very, very, <laughs> he was very, very animated, okay? And so he would do the choo-choo sound, all the stuff. And he would, he would say, all right, Joshua, Joe, listen, you can do anything you want to do if you put your mind to it. Oh, some of you also had good parents, like my mom and dad, okay? Or maybe you've become the good parent. 
You've become the believer. And so my dad would read this book, and he would say, he would, he would do all the sounds. He would say, okay. And I'd sit there, and I'd look. I could see him. Now, I outgrew him by the time I was 13. I was taller. So this was when I was really little because I was still looking up at him. And, I, and he would say, chugga, 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 chugga. And he would say, oh, that train, that little train, he didn't know if he could at first. He would try to go up a big hill because the story's about a train that's trying to get over this big hill. And he doesn't know if he can do it. And so he chugga, 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 chugga. And he chugga, chugga, chugga. And he slows down. Dad would slow down. And then he would say, but then that little train, he just pushed through and he would go, chugga, 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 what was my dad teaching me at the time? Son, you got to push through the circumstance. Friends, you have to think through the way you feel. That's not in the notes, but that's free. You have to think through the way you feel. Because emotions and mental roadblocks will derail everything that God wants to do in your life. Mental roadblocks are a big deal. They distort spiritual reality. These mental roadblocks, they're negative They set negative spiritual boundaries all around you, and they determine your level of freedom or fear. Mental roadblocks, in fact, influence the choices that we make and the habits we create as a result of those choices. Are you with me this morning? This is actually proven scientifically. The brain has neural pathways. These neural pathways are like a road in your mind. And they recognize different responses to your, and they determine your actions and reactions. And the way that you, the way that you act and react determines what road you take in your mind. And the more you choose the same response to a situation the easier that brain begins to react. So if you've ever wondered, why do I react like this? You've created a neural pathway in your mind. This is, this is legitimate stuff. And, and it results in the habits that we have. This neural, these neural pathways are established when a habitual response has been formed. Now, let's, let's look, think of an example. A traffic, I guess a traffic jam is not a really good example, uh, but maybe being behind a tractor on the highway is. You know, if you get behind a tractor or in a traffic jam in the highway, you have to slow way down. You go from, you know, 55, of course, always obeying the speed limit, Shane, exactly whatever is marked in whatever county you're in because you don't want to break the law. We don't, we don't do that here. Uh, our pastor's a cop. And so, and so you, uh, he will put you in prison if you don't hit the altar, okay? I'm just kidding. No, but really. And so you come from 55 miles an hour to a 20-mile-an-hour halt. If your reaction is always, and every single time you hit a traffic jam, your reaction is, the same emotion, the same thought, the same reaction, you, congratulations, you've discovered you have a neural pathway. But God is so good. Uh, it's, it's awesome to me that we keep discovering the things that God has designed in us because we are his design. The International Encyclopedia of the Social and Behavioral Sciences by J.H. Koss, written in 2001, it's a science book, he said this, neuroplasticity refers to the ability of neurons to change form and functions in response 
to alterations in their environment. Neurons are these, they act like circuits in your brain. That's why it's a neural pathway. Because they function like circuits, like a computer. And it determines the response that you're going to have. So, so that's a neural pathway. But neuroplasticity is different. It is kind of the governance of how you redirect in your mind these neural pathways. So you've established one. How do I change it? How do I, how do I break this mental roadblock? Well, God has given us neuroplasticity, which is the ability to change these neural pathways. What am I saying? God has given you the brains to make a different choice. He's given you, God has given us neuroplasticity. He's given us, affects, it affects the way we learn, we grow and develop. He's given us neuroplasticity to recognize our ability or inability to make a decision or to change a decision. And so, God has given us the ability to think differently, to act differently. Now, Paul didn't read this journal, the Apostle Paul. This is written just a few years after he died, 2001. That's a joke, folks. Of course, he, you know, it's Old Testament, I mean, New Testament. But Paul says this in the book of Romans when he says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The apostles knew then, they didn't have to know about neural pathways and neural, neuroplasticity, they, they already knew. God has given us the ability, and by the Holy Spirit, thank God, who will help us think to think differently. Why is that important? So that you can overcome mental roadblocks, so that your spiritual life can broaden. And why? So that God can use you in a greater context, so that you can, like Abraham, be a blessing, carry that presence with you. Examples of these roadblocks, hurt, Shame, guilt. I mean, come on. Has anybody felt hurt before? Guilty? Shameful? Had bad experiences? Have seen bad examples? Have been a bad example? Fearful? Terrified? The list could go on and on and on. But this is a major obstacle to thinking differently. In thinking differently is how we perceive God. Is he truly able or isn't he able because the way you live your life will determine whether you really think God is able or whether he's not now let's go back to Seinfeld for just a moment we have a clip here that I want to show you regarding this gentleman who owns a soup shop and he is affectionately referred to as the soup Nazi it's an endearing name isn't it the soup Nazi, and you will see on this clip here in just a moment how rigid and timid and anticipant of something negative Jerry Seinfeld and George Costanza really are as they enter this shop. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and, and watch the clip. Tell them I'm not there, whoever's on the phone. I'm not available. Medium turkey chili. <laughs> Medium crab bisque. <laughs> I didn't get any bread. Just forget it. Let it go. 
Excuse me, uh, I think you forgot my bread. Bread, two dollars extra. Two dollars, but everyone in front of me got free bread. You want bread? Yes, please. Three dollars! <laughs> what? No soup for you! I could watch that all day, if you don't believe me, ask my wife. Let me tell you something. This is a really funny example involving some soup here with the soup Nazi and Jerry, and Jerry Seinfeld and George Costanza. But we approach God about like Jerry and George in the video approach the soup Nazi. Maybe, maybe you will. I don't know. Let me just put everything up here that maybe I've done in my life. Hopefully it's good enough. I'm just going to sit here and wait. Because we're intimidated by what he may or may not do. And that's a fear issue. And a fear issue is a faith issue because you don't think your faith isn't great enough to overcome the fear that you have because your level of expectancy is at ground zero. But it doesn't have to be that way because God is not the soup Nazi. He's not waiting on the other end of the counter smugly waiting on you to make a mistake, hoping that, I mean, and just, and just maybe playing with your emotions and your mind and hoping that maybe you'll make a mistake so that he can somehow punish you for some kind of wrongdoing or decision that you made in your past. God is the opposite. God wants to draw near to us in our time of need. The author of Hebrews chapter 4 says this, For we do not have a high priest talking about Christ, who would come, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help us in our time of need. Paul wrote to the Philippian church and said this, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. In the book of Isaiah, it was written, So do not fear, I am with you. Don't be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. And then Isaiah wrote again in 43, and he said this, For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Come on, have you ever felt like you're walking through the wilderness, like you're in the dry and barren wasteland? There is hope for you because you don't approach a God who is unable to empathize with your weaknesses, with your failures, with your hurts, with your mistakes. You approach the throne room, the Bible says, with very much confidence because we know that Christ is there presently, right now, at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf because we are broken. We are mortal. We're not perfect. And we make mistakes. We do sin. But we have a God who loves us and who cares for us and who is willing to accept us just as we are if we are willing to be obedient because he wants somebody. I mean, come on. He wants somebody that is willing to say, I don't care what I've done anymore, God. I laid at the cross. I know I'm imperfect, but if you, will just, if you will just use me, I will be obedient. I will obey to the nth degree because, God, more than anything else, I want to be a blessing for your great name.
And I want your presence to be felt in all that I say, in all that I do. I want it to glorify you, God. God wants to release his power in you, on you, through you. That's the blessing. That's the blessing. This is why he said to Abraham in Genesis 2, 2, 12, 2, you will be a blessing. He wants to release what you need. He wants you to be obedient in what he has called you to do. He wants his presence felt at home with your colleagues, with your families, in businesses, in organizations, and by your obedience to his word, his instruction through his word, your families, the businesses you serve, your, those in proximity to you, all of your relationships, the state, the nation can be blessed if we will just be willing. If we'll just be willing. Because God does have a plan. Jacob, he was cooking the stew. And I could just, I have this vivid imagination. And so I could just imagine him, you know, uh, making this soup. And I almost... You know, I don't know if you've ever seen those old Looney Tunes cartoons with that crazy you know, witch that Bugs Bunny would run into, but she would, you know, Eye of Newton and all this stuff, and she would stir. And I just imagine Jacob, you know, just, just craftily adding things and making sure that the stew was just so red and so ready for Esau because he knew, you know, Esau, well, he didn't have a watch. It was more like, a, you know, I'd go outside, a sundial watch, you know what I mean? And so he, he, he knew the time of day, and so he knew that his brother would be coming in soon. And so he wanted to prepare that soup. I would imagine that that soup, I would imagine that it was probably the best lentil soup he'd ever made. I would imagine that that soup was probably smelled terrific. I imagine that that soup was very, very pleasing to the eye. I imagine that that soup, I just want to see if anybody was awake in the middle row. That's all. There's nothing in here. I imagine that that soup was just, was just so succulent. And so, and so Isaac, or so Jacob prepared the soup, and in comes burly Esau, famished. And he says, give me some of that soup. <coughs> give me some of that soup. I'm not as burly as Esau, it chokes me up. And so Isaac says, sell me your birthright. Esau says, what good is a birthright if I'm about to die? You know, Esau, he wasn't really dying, folks. He wasn't. He was not really dying. But he felt like he was. Why? Why would he make that comment? He was hungry. Right, very, very hungry. He wasn't dying in Isaac's house, but he felt like it. Because in the moment, he had a dire need. You know, life pressures are this way aren't they? I mean, in the moment, it feels unbearable. I mean, come on. This is, this is the real deal. This is in your face. This is the real stuff. This is day-to-day life. This is, this is where we live, isn't it? Life pressures can feel so unbearable, like there's no way out. And so when life pressures feel unbearable, we don't remember the promises of God. It narrows our focus. And a narrow focus equals a limited spirituality every time. I only see what's in front of me. Esau's words seem to mean, I'm going towards death anyway, so I shall never live to inherit any of these promises. I'm never going to see Canaan, you know. I'm never 
going to get any of these future blessings anyway, so what good is a birthright to me if I don't get to enjoy it, if I don't get to enjoy my life the way I want it? That's what he's saying. Are you with me here? Hello. This is ringing somebody's bell because it sure enough rang mine when I was developing it. This language communicates a lack of care for the promises of God. Hebrews 12, 16 says this. <clears throat> he was addressing the author, sexual immorality. And then he raises up an example, the author, in the book of Hebrews. And the example is Esau, remembering back to the story that we're going through this morning. And the author wrote, see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. Godless, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Sold it. So the author says, sexual morality, same thing as godless. Same result. So what does that mean, Josh? Well, here's what it means. It means that not adhering to the promises of God is a waste. It, it is a way to live a godless life. You can accept Christ and live defeated your entire life. You can accept Christ and live a godless life the rest of your days and never inherit the blessings that God has for you. Because in the moment, you are too concerned about being comfortable, about the situation. I'm going to ruffle too many feathers, or my boss hates me, or God doesn't care about my financial position, or I'll never be healed this way, or my son or daughter will never be saved, or my grandchildren will never be saved, or I'll never get a car that I want. Nobody cares about me. I don't care whatever it is, whatever the comfortability is, whatever the promise is that you're forgetting, forget it, because God wants to do something new in you. The promises of God are yes and they're amen. What's the point of trying, we ask? God doesn't care. Promises aren't real. Why do I even try? I was made this way. God can't change me. Do not willingly exchange God's promises of blessing to satisfy your present desire. Do not willingly exchange God's promises of blessing to satisfy present desire. Now, often we don't roll out of bed and think, how can I, how can I avoid God's promises today? I mean, that's not really how it's done, is it? No, we don't. It's inadvertent, isn't it? Very often, it's one choice at a time, one neural pathway at a time, one decision, one choice. Do not willingly exchange God's promises of blessing to satisfy present desire. Everyday use, the choices we make, they're reflected through our habits until one day we look around and our faith in our lives are less than God's best, but it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. There's hope. Do not accept anything less than God's best. Do not accept anything less than God's very best. Everybody decides numerous times in their lives whether or not they want the soup. Everybody. Everybody decides if they want the soup. 
The soup, what does it represent? Well, it represents the opportunity to exchange what God has promised. The soup represents the opportunity to be a blessing. The soup represents the opportunity to exchange God's best for momentary comfortability. The soup represents the opportunity to give up. Well, come on, are you with me this morning? The soup is dangerous. The soup is very dangerous. The soup exists every day. A choice, a temptation, a thought, a passive move, a stab in the back, an emotional response. After Esau left Isaac's tent, the soup, it eventually passed through his digestive system. Do you know, have you ever thought about this? He exchanges the promises of God, the ability to be a blessing for this, for this soup that no doubt looked good, smelled good, he thought would taste good. He was very hungry. It met the need, so he exchanged it. But if he would have really been thinking, Esau would have said, hold on a second. Sell you my what? For, for what? For, for, for soup? Esau, when he left Isaac's tent, eventually all that soup passed through his digestive system It fueled his body. It left his body. And what happened? He was hungry again. He ate the soup, but it did not satisfy, did it? No. Because anything less than what God has for you will not satisfy. That big gaping hole in your spirit when you know God wants you to do something that need that you know needs to be met, that, that prompting that the Holy Spirit has been, has been prompting you to do, that one thing that he's been asking of you, that soup will not satisfy. You know, what I, you know what Esau should have done? He should have looked over at Isaac. He should have looked at that soup, and he should have went, I'm going to check my options. And he should have gone out into the village where there are a thousand different soups to choose from. Can I tell you something? When the soup comes to your doorstep and it looks like it's the only way out, like it's the only choice you can make, and in the down deep, I mean, I mean deep in your spirit, you know that it's the wrong move, that God wants something else. I don't care how tempting that soup is. I don't care how good it smells. I don't care how, how hungry you really are. If that is not your soup, then you say, no soup for me. That's it. You don't need that soup because my God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has soup for me as far as the eyes can see. If your soup will satisfy now, oh, the bread of life, the decision God wants me to make, the blessing that he has for me, that's my soup. That's where I'm going. Esau didn't need that soup. He had a village full of soup. But he chose what was right in front of him to satisfy the momentary. It doesn't have to be that way with you. You can say, no soup for me. 
I don't need that. I don't need what's in front of me. What I really need is what God has for me because my God does own the cattle on a thousand hills and there are numerous possibilities with God. Paul wrote to the Philippian church. He said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. If you're in here this morning and you think, I'm not strong enough, Christ is. He also wrote to the Corinthian church and he said this, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ our amen, this so be it, Lord, ascends to God for his glory. We need to stand to our feet this morning, I think, and just begin to lift our hands toward heaven. If you're able, if you're not able to stand, that's okay. There's no pressure on you. But if you're able right now, just lift your hands towards heaven and just begin to praise him. Just begin to call out his name right now. God wants to do something in your life. He wants to do something in you right now. Just begin to cry out to God right now. Are you ready to commit yourself to God's plan to be that blessing? Are you ready to take that step? Are you ready to deny yourself the soup that's right in front of you and say, Oh God, I want what you have for me. I want to be that blessing. I want to be that presence. I want to be that proximity of kingdomship on earth. I want to be where you want me to be, God, regardless of the cost, regardless of the circumstance, no matter how tough it is for me to mentally break through. God, I want to serve you with all that I have, with all that I am. With all that I have to offer, it's not much. I'm just a human being. But God, you can, do all, you can do all things through me. Are you ready to turn away from the soup, the distractions that are in front of you? Are you ready to face the music? Are you ready to be the blessing that God intended you to be? And take just a few moments here and just really, God, just connect with your people right now. Just connect with your people, Lord. It's your word, not mine. It's your word. And right now, God, your Holy Spirit is doing something in the hearts of your people. I encourage you right now, if there's something in your heart that you've been dealing with, a situation at home or at work or at school, if there's if that that longing inside, if you are if you are considering exchanging the promises of God, the right thing that God wants you to do, the choice that He wants you to make, the blessing that He wants you to be, the destiny that God has for you for the moment. Just identify that right now with the Lord. And just begin to give that to God. You know, the Quakers of old, they used to symbolically raise their hands as you are right now towards heaven. And they would give everything they had to God. They would say, and it would be an expression of their faith and and release. So right now, whatever that is in your heart, in your life, just release it to God right now. Just lift your hand toward heaven. Just stick out even just one hand up and just release it to God right now. And just say, oh God, take this thing from me, Lord. Help me to make the right decision. I don't need what's in front of me. I have what you have, I have what you want for me ahead of me in my life. I I believe in the promises of God. I believe in what you have for me. Plans to prosper me and not to harm me. Plans for a hope and a future. Plans for your kingdom's position on earth. God, I want to be used like that. Let me not exchange it, Lord, for monetary gain. Let me not exchange it, Lord, for anything else than what you have for me. God, I want to do the right thing at the right time with the right attitude. God, let me not take the soup. Give me strength, Lord. Just give it to him right now. Just just let it go. Give it to him under your breath or out loud or whatever is comfortable to you, but just as an expression of your commitment to God right now, just release that to him. Just release it to him right now. Then the Quakers, they would also, when they were done, when they, after they had raised their hands and they had expressionately given these things to God, they would 
they would lower their hands like this and they would receive the blessing of God and they would symbolically say, oh God, let me now receive what you have for me. And right now as an expression of faith, just drop those hands and just, and just as an expression of faith, just begin to cry out to God and say, God, what do, you, what do you have for me? I will receive it. God, what do you have for me? What do you want from me, God? What do you want me to take on? Lord, help me to break through these mental roadblocks that limit my ability to serve you. God, help me. Give me the tools that I need. Lord, I want to be obedient to you. I've already released these things that you've called me to release. I've already said now, oh God, forgive me for taking the soup. I don't want it anymore. I don't want it anymore. But God, I do want what you have for me. And just receive that right now. Let that Holy Spirit just sink into your hearts and speak to you. We, have, we serve an individualistic God who speaks to us on individual levels. He knows how to speak to you. And I just believe that the Holy Spirit is right now settling into your hearts, beginning to, <clears throat> to drop promises. How many would like to have a promise from God this morning? Just drop it right now, God, in Jesus' name, in their hearts, in their lives. Lord, I pray for a fresh fire on them, Lord God, just a, a fresh anointing, a fresh presence in their heart. God, a rejuvenated spirit. Some feel worn down and broken and brokenhearted. God, right now, you've come to heal the brokenhearted, your word says. Right now, God, in Jesus' name, just begin right now, right now, to begin to minister to them on an individual level. Right now, God, your servants are here. Our hands are up and open, symbolically saying, oh, God, whatever you would have for me to do, speak to them right now, God. At the altar or in their seats, you can speak to them right now, God. Some of you may have a need, and then you would, you would ask that people come and pray with you. I'd invite you to the altar right now. There's an extenuating circumstance maybe that's in your life that you say, I need the prayer of the saints. God has already done a good work right where you're at. If there's extra prayer that you need, we'd be glad to meet with you and to pray with you. Oh, Holy Spirit, make your way through this place. Speak to your people. Guide them, Lord God, and direct them. Yes, Lord, you want to do a good thing. Let's just wait for a moment on the Lord before we move forward, can we? Just wait for one moment. Just one moment. Allow the Lord a moment just to speak. Let's close a slightly different way this morning. I believe that God has been here and has spoken to hearts and lives. Isn't it great to be, to, to be in the presence of the Lord? It is so good. To just be in his presence is life-changing, transforming forever and ever. I encourage you to let the Holy Spirit continue the good work this week that he started right here right here. And like, and like Jacob and Esau, I mean, this, some of these things have been in transition maybe in your life for many, many years, but wherever you're at, whatever soup's in front of you, whatever God spoke to you today, like, like Mary, who the angel appeared to and, 
and began to speak great things about her, her son, Jesus Christ. And then she, the Bible says that she hid those things in her heart and meditated on them. Meditate on the things that God has given you this morning, the things that he's spoken to you. There's nothing too far-fetched, outlandish, or minuscule that will not affect the kingdom of God. Big or large, that's the same thing, I guess. Big, large, small, medium, size, whatever. Whatever your shoe size, color, race, it doesn't, doesn't matter. God can use you right where you're at. Hide those things away in your heart, pray over them, and then live them out in life practice this week. And let the kingdom be felt here on earth. Father, these are your people called by your name according to your purposes. I ask God, the word that's been, that's been heard this morning, Lord, I just ask that you let it germinate, let it take root, let it change hearts and lives this morning. And help us to, to allow it to change us, Lord God. And I just ask for your blessing and for your continued favor and for the kingdom presence to be felt through people of this church who are resisting to, to the, resisting the soup that's in front of them, so to speak. God, the, the temptation, the things that are right there, refusing to exchange anything for God's best. Lord, help us to be sold out to what you have for us. In your name, your son's name we ask. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being at service this morning.